0: This is SMDC. Hello, everyone. It's January 2022, and this is Episode 14 of the High Ground, U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's official podcast. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. To kick off the new year, we're going back to school. Not just any school, mind you, we're going to space school. More specifically, I'm talking about an organization neatly tucked under SMDC's Space and Missile Defense Center of Excellence, the Army's Space and Missile Defense School. I've actually been a student of the schoolhouse. Back in 2005, I attended the Ground-Based Midcourse Defense Operator Qualification Course in Colorado Springs. Of course, back then, Lieutenant Bailey was much more concerned with getting high marks, finishing the course, and my upcoming PCS to Alaska than the hierarchy and mission of the school. But the Space and Missile Defense School isn't just an in-house training center for SMDC and Army Space Cadre, as we will learn. Its reach extends well beyond that, Army-wide to be specific, and it also instructs and integrates space education and training at each Army Center of Excellence, proponent schools, and operational unit training as a part of the Army Space Training Strategy. Last year, fiscal 2021, the SMD school conducted 118 classes, training more than 14,500 personnel. To put that 14,500 in perspective, the average community college in the United States only has about 4,300 students in any given academic year, or stated another way, less than a third the number of students taking courses with the SMD school. So academically and as an institution, how does the COE's Space and Missile Defense School stack up? If you'll pardon the turn of phrase, they're not just good, they're TRADOC good. Earning Army Training and Doctrine Command's highest accreditation status of fully accredited. And even during their tri-year accreditation in 2020, TRADOC also recognized several Army best practices at the school. And that is about all I know about the school. Fortunately, we were able to talk to a number of folks from the school itself, including the director and a number of division, branch and course chiefs and managers to help us sort that out. In part two of the episode, Michaela will help school all of us a little more on this unique Army institution, but more importantly, some behind the scenes with the people who keep the machine running.
1: Thanks again for joining us on the High Ground. I'm Michaela Mast. Today we're hearing from several space and missile defense experts from the SMD school to give us a behind the scenes look at this unique institution and its cadre. First, we'll hear from Mr. Daryl Breitbach, director of the U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense School, who will tell us how the school operates and why the training they provide is so critical to the Army and the nation.
2: So the, the mission of the Army's Space and Missile Defense School, and, and I say the Army because we really train for the entire Army, is to train and educate forces, uh, we're responsible for developing Army doctrine for space and missile defense operations, and in the end to, to ensure Army forces are enabled and ready to support combatant commands. The Army Space and Missile Defense School is important to the Army because space and missile defense capabilities are, are truly an integral part of all Army operations. Really down to the lowest tactical level, every soldier relies on space. And additionally, as the Army moves into multi-domain operations, uh, the integrated missile defense in the space domain provides critical capabilities and effects to enable ground operations and to ensure the Army can, can fight and win.
1: Breitbach said this training couldn't occur without the incredible talent and experience his instructors bring to the schoolhouse.
2: So here in the school, we have a a team, a cadre of civilian, military and contractor team members uh, that execute our daily day missions of training and education, as well as the doctrine and all of the uh, support functions that go into uh, running a school day to day. We've got an amazing group of, of individuals, uh, many of them with experience in these mission areas, experience in the military, uh, retirees, or current uh, reserve for forces, uh, truly impassioned uh, by the mission that they do, dedicated, and they couldn't be more proud of, of the work that they do day to day. It's interesting that uh, we, we get accredited by TRADOC every three years and when they come out that's one of the things that they often comment to me is on the, the professionalism, the dedication, the enthusiasm that the, the cadre members and the team show in executing the training and education uh, missions that we have here in the school.
1: One thing all the cadre we talked to agreed on was just how vital the education and qualification courses they offer are to national security one of these instructors is Dustin Lee the sensor management course manager
3: i think training itself is often overlooked the operational side uh, you know when there's a, a big missile event and it makes national news and they talk about you know maybe a, a engagement has happened or an enemy state has launched a missile or, or something that makes all the all the news you know maybe we've tracked it or maybe we've shot at it or, or whatever But the the side of all the training and and background to prepare these soldiers to do this job is often less glamorous, I guess. But then it's just kind of the background side of even the job of the sensor manager and using the radars to do that. You know, they're not shooting anything. But without being able to first sense and see and, and acquire these threat trajectories, the shooting side can't happen without that. And, and so while it's not the most glamorous side of the job, it's a very important piece of it.
1: Not only does the schoolhouse train army personnel in space and missile defense operations, it trains service members and civilians from across the entire Department of Defense. Brett Witherell, Branch Chief, Space Control Training, and Cale Murray, Sensor Management Qualification Course, Course Manager, tell us more.
2: And so we have a wide variety of just Army soldiers, but then also we have joint service partners that attend our courses depending on the specific course. Within the space control world, we also have Navy and Marine and Air Force and Space Force uh, Guardians that have attended our courses within the Army Space Control Planners side. Within Army Space Cadre Basic Course, they also have sister services that come and attend that course on an infrequent basis. And then also, the Space Operations Officer Qualification Course, or SOCUC, also has joint service partners that come into that course, and they have a joint accreditation within that course that allows graduates of that course to receive joint discretionary points. The demographic of the students that I teach is is kind of
4: fascinating, actually. We train uh, not only Army personnel, but basically from all services. In the last year, we have trained service members from every branch to include Space Force and the Marines. Uh, We also train, uh, of course, Army and Air Force civilians, along with a variety of contractors from around the community. So we do everything. I say we've trained every service. The only service I have not trained is someone from the Coast Guard. (laughs) But other than that, I've had someone from literally every branch of the military, as well as a whole variety of contractors and Army and Air Force civilians over.
1: This one-of-a-kind schoolhouse opened in 2001 with just one course, but now hosts 22 different courses, training thousands of students and units each year. Although it offers more than 20 courses, all of them break down into two specific types, qualification courses and education courses. Witherell and Murray explain the difference.
2: Yeah, so within the school, we have two different types of courses. We have educational courses, think of that as classroom-based courses, and then there's also functional qualification courses. Those courses are mostly hands-on training of specific things. Within the Space Ops Training Division, we have courses like our Mobile Integrated Ground Suite, our MIGS, Individual Qualification Training Course. And in that course, we train on how to operate a MiG system. But then we also have educational courses too. The Army Space Cadre Basic Course would be an example, or the Army Space Control Fundamentals Course as an example. Okay, so an education-based course is not
4: task-based per se. Uh, It is information, education such as oral mechanics, things like that, that can educate a person in a general area, but that does not necessarily cause them to push a button on a particular piece of equipment. When you look at task-based courses, that's what we do in the sensor manager qualification course. We teach approved critical tasks. The Army has assessed that to be a sensor manager, you have to be able to perform 16 critical tasks in order to do that job effectively. So students come to us and we teach them those 16 critical tasks uh, through about 36 or 37 classes over a three-week period. After they graduate, they then go out to the operational units around the different combatant commands around the world, and they move on into their gunnery and their advanced training from there, ultimately leading to them becoming uh, Table 8 qualified and sitting watch on one of the systems.
1: Every organization has its myths and misconceptions, and our SMD school team wanted to address some of the common ones they hear about the schoolhouse. Lee Robert Marquez, Army Space Training Division Chief, and Murray addressed them.
3: I think one of the most common things that we hear is when people come into our courses, they're used to uh, traditional Army courses being they come in, they receive several days or weeks of, kind of presentation via slides where an instructor stands up, gives them or presents them information from slides, and then gives them a test, they pass the test, and they leave with a piece of paper that says that they've completed this course. We approach training from a very different uh, perspective, I think, than a lot of other courses do. We're looking from a much more facilitated, student-centric uh, learning environment, and what I mean by that is we really want... The instruction to be a lot more dynamic, based on where the student is when they walk in the door to our course. So we may have, uh, you know, obviously we have structure, we have outcomes, we have uh, a targeted learning that we're trying to achieve. But if on day one of the course, we're in our first lesson, the student asks a question that is something we're supposed to talk about on day three of the course. We can, we you know, we have the dynamic ability to dive into that question right there in day one and it allows for a higher level of attention it allows for us to follow that student's line of interest while it's fresh while it's present
5: the second myth about the army space training is that when we go out and support field training exercises or some other sticks lanes or or some other type of training that the unit wants to do that the whole focus is gonna be on contested space. But when we come out and we teach them that, no, we're just gonna layer our jamming capabilities, our OP4, our opposing forces, our, our adversary capabilities, layer it over your FTX. So we're not giving you an extra task to do. All of this stuff should be included in, your, in, in what you're doing. So it's almost like uh, an NBC attack. You already know what to do. You already do it. Once you get your mop gear on, you're doing your normal routine. We're kind of the same way. We liken it to a seaburn attack where we just
4: layer on the adversary's capabilities and you work through the problem set. All right, so talk about misconceptions a little bit. I think one of the biggest misconceptions people have is that this is going to be a couple of weeks in a gentleman's course when they come to our training. And nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, it is labor intensive. It is brain power intensive. Uh, it takes a lot of commitment. And unfortunately, not everyone graduates. So I've had a couple of times where students come in looking for a vacation and they quickly run into the bus saw and realize that this is very challenging academically and they got to get their head on straight to get through it. And most do with no problem at all. But yeah, the biggest misconception is it's going to be a vacation for three weeks and, and a gentleman's course. Over.
1: Although touched on previously, Witherell discusses what is probably the biggest misconception of them all.
2: Well, the most common misconception that we have for the Space and Missile Defense School is that we are a 1st Space Brigade school, and that's just simply not the case. Space and Missile Defense School is an Army-accredited school that falls under Space and Missile Defense Command, specifically Space and Missile Defense Center of Excellence. and We educate and train soldiers across the Army and joint service partners as the in-space mission areas that continuously evolve and expand as our student population expands with that. And so we train soldiers across the Army on all aspects of the Department of Defense's space mission areas. So it's not just 1st Space Brigade, it's not just the operational components within Space and Missile Defense Command. We train soldiers from all over the Army on space mission areas.
1: With such critical training, you need to have top-tier cadre. We asked Murray and Witherall to explain what makes a good instructor for the school.
4: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Teaching brings about it. There has to be, first of all, you have to have a passion for for teaching folks, and you have to be a little outside the box when it comes to being able to adjust on the fly. Uh, We often joke that you have to be uh, a little scatterbrained to do the job because I may be teaching someone, uh, yet I'm at the same time evaluating them in role-playing or white-selling two or three different other positions. And so you have to be a little little out of the box in the way you think. It can't just be old-school read a step, do a step, or old-school just task condition standard. You have to be a little more creative, and we try and blend many different learning styles. Um, but it starts back with the instructor. you got to have a passion to do it. you got to have a passion to see people grow go from not knowing anything or being scared to death to being a competent and qualified operator.
2: You know I learned along the way as an instructor that to be a good instructor you really got to be three things. You got to be a subject matter expert, you've got to be an orator, and you have to be a part-time comedian to capture the interest and that's where the personality of instructors really come into play. So you can have that subject matter expert, but if they can't hold someone's attention on things that aren't quite as engaging, then that loses a little bit from a uh, student's perspective. And for me, not to say that I'm a part-time stand-up comedian, but I've learned that as um, I have evolved into my role within the instructor realm and then into the management realm of these courses, how you teach really dictates how people either learn, grow, or gain experience.
1: It's also important to have experienced and passionate instructors because there's a constant need to adapt training as advancements in Army technology and adversary capabilities evolve. Murray and Lee tell us how they keep the courses relevant.
4: Okay, so the question being how do we maintain relevancy and make sure we're keeping up the times and teaching current material. Uh, To start with, we are accredited accredited by TRADOC, but we're not a TRADOC school per se. Um, and the benefit of that is that allows us to adapt quicker to what we call spiral development systems uh, as well as adapting to training faster against emerging threats. So the way we do our training is, is we maintain a constant contact with the units and we get a blend of uh, you know, operational needs coming from units that are established through, hey, we've got this new thing we're doing, uh, which ultimately leads to critical task establishment. All right? So we've got that interface back and forth with the units. At the same time, the Missile Defense Agency out of Huntsville is steadily sending us a steady stream of of new capabilities and equipment. So those folks are cranking out the software, they're cranking out the capabilities, uh, getting pushed out to us in the field, and as a result, we have to stay up on that.
3: Development of this course is a very difficult thing because unlike many other systems in the Army, it's a very dynamic operational environment. The, the system itself changes so frequently. Uh, we're looking at a turnover of system capabilities on average about every one to two years. And so the typical development time frame just doesn't really work for, uh, for us. Uh, one of the things that I like to say is you know, we're a trade accredited school, which means that we follow all the, the normal processes. We are still a process based school. Um, and and we have a great background, a great system in place to allow us to grow and adapt our training. But it still allows us to be dynamic in nature. It allows us to change our training with the changing operational environment.
1: We saved the most important question for last. Does the training the school provides actually matter? Does it save lives?
5: I would say it's a true statement to to the point that it is not an abstract threat. It's a non-kinetic or non-lethal threat, meaning they're not sending rounds downrange to destroy a target or destroy personnel or soldiers. but. It can definitely affect weapon systems that could potentially and unintentionally take the lives of soldiers. The threat's out there. We all know it. And we're the only game in town when it comes to the Army um, that does this
4: for the Army. I view it from a personal point of view. Every student that goes out there, um, when they're sitting on console doing their mission at night, As always say, you know, two o'clock on a Saturday morning when no one's paying attention, do I want that guy or that gal on console? And if the answer is not, yes, absolutely, then we need to do more to prepare them for that. Because the mission they do, they're supporting missile defense, in particular the homeland defense part of mission missile defense, there's such a small room for error. And, you know, if they get it wrong, then there's great consequences. There could be great loss of life, loss of equipment. And as I always tell people, if, if this thing ever has to, if we ever actually have to engage in a crash of combat situation, it's that, gonna be a world changing event. And I don't wanna be responsible or I don't wanna send someone out who's not 100% prepared to do that because there's such a small room for error. And there's so few soldiers that actually do the mission. We have to send them out there prepared to do it and then take them to the next level when they get out there, over.
1: Thank you for joining us on the high ground. To learn more about the Space and Missile Defense School and SMDC's other unique people, units, and missions around the world, follow us online at smdc.army.mil. I'm Michaela Mast. Thanks for listening.